This is the Infatuation Podcast, where I get together with a few friends and talk about Asian things and Asian people that we love. Uh, This is Curtis, and on today's episode, we're going to do a continuation of our discussion on our love of the Olympics. Welcome to part two of episode number five. We're continuing our discussion about the Olympics, and once again, we're joined by our guests. We have track and field cross-country coach Andy, freestyle and backstroke swimmer for the Emory Eagles, Kaylin, and competitive skater Erica. Welcome back, everyone. Hey. Thanks for sticking around. So let's do a couple fun facts. Now, don't look at my notes. Don't cheat, all right? Who was the first? <laughs> if you don't know, I have these notes here. All right. Hey, I just saw. Hey, Erica, I saw you just log onto the notes. What are you doing? <laughs> you cheater! Is that what they teach you in college, Erica? All right. Um, who was the first Asian American to compete for the United States? Hint: There are three of them the same year. Oh, in the in the Olympics. In the Olympics. I know Sammy Lee is the first man, but I don't know who the first woman was. Yeah. Good. How do you know Sammy Lee? That was, I didn't think you would know that one. Because I, I was thinking that Nathan Adrian, for some reason, was the first one. And then ah. did a little research and yeah. learned about Sammy. Yeah, 1948. Uh, was he the first gold medal? Let me see. can't even read my own notes here. Uh, yeah, first Olympic gold medal for Asian American, 1948. And the same year... There was also a diver named Victoria Manolo Draves, Filipina-American, and she was gold uh, in springboard and platform diving in 1948. And then Harold Sakata won weightlifting silver medal in 1948 Olympics, uh, Japanese-American. So, you know, you guys know your history. 1948 was not the best time to be a Japanese-American, but Harold Sakata competed for the u.s in weightlifting so the three of them hats off to them first asian americans to um i don't know if it was competing or winning but they were definitely winners and so they got their gold medals in 1948 so yeah it's a little history for you i gotta add a quick edit here after we recorded yesterday i did a little fact checking how could i forget duke kahanamoku From Hawaii, before Hawaii was even a state, in 1912, 1920, 1924, won five Olympic medals in swimming. Probably would have won more, except the Olympic Games were called off in 1916 for World War I, of course. But yeah, he and his brother were both Olympic swimmers and awesome surfers, right? They're legends in Hawaii. Uh, you know, I've been to Kauai several times. I've been in, in, at the restaurant named after him. And yeah, it's <laughs> how could I forget Duke? But amazing history. Actually, in the 1912 Olympics in Stockholm, he was part of the 4x200 meter freestyle relay with Jim Thorpe, was also one on that team, a Native American. So we have a Native Hawaiian and a Native American both on the team and he won medals jim thorpe won medals in the pentathlon and the and the decathlon wow so some amazing athletes duke from hawaii 
So shout out to them. Uh, in a crazy time for them, I'm sure they had train on the waves. That's how he got to be such a good swimmer. Just surfing, surf pioneer, surf legend, uh, American legend, Hawaiian legend. So uh, shout out to Duke Hanamoku. Hats off to you. Um. Okay, this one, I think you already know this one. Who was the most decorated Asian-American athletes in the Olympics? So we talked about one of them already. It's uh, Nathan Adrian has eight medals. Do you know the other one? It's a tie for eight medals. Erica should know this one. Skating, not figure skating. Short track speed skating. Oh, yeah. I, I forgot his name. Like Apollo Anton Ono. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, he has eight medals as well. So pretty good haul for both of those athletes. Um, here's this super random one. But do you guys know, not not an American, but the Asian who has the most medals ever, it's a Japanese athlete. <laughs> you, you all know this one. <laughs> Takashi Ono was a gymnast. And he competed in four Olympics, 1952, 1956, 1960, and 1964. Uh, five gold, four silver, four silver, and four bronze. So 13. Wow. So uh, definitely made his mark in Olympic history. That's amazing. So yeah, J- Japan has done pretty well in the Olympics. Uh, of course, now China's coming on. But uh, yeah, so and we're starting to see a lot more Asian American athletes. So this is pretty cool. All right. Moving on to our next category, um, we're going to talk about this Olympics. So 2021, super weird year, right? Because it's supposed to be 2020, but we have that. And then we have 2022, which is in Beijing, uh, which is going to be interesting. I, I'm kind of curious how, how they pulled it. They did such a good job on the 20, 2008 Olympics. Were you at the opening ceremonies, Andy? Did you see that? Oh, he was not. I was in China, but not at the bird's nest and not in beijing at the time we watched on tv like everyone else i guess amazing though yep. man you think they're gonna go they gotta go big again right yeah i think sure. that's their thing is the world's watching they're gonna go big uh they want to you know show show the world what all the positive things so i think they uh, will pull pull out all the stops pull out all the stuff so that'll be fun so let's talk about this year's crop of athletes um there may be some that uh, we know of or maybe some that we don't know of or never heard of. So uh, these are Asian athletes to keep your eyes on in 2021, 2022. Uh, they don't necessarily have to be Asian American, so they can be just Asian or another country altogether. Uh, let's see. Erica, why don't you go first this time? Um, who are you expecting to do well in these upcoming Summer or Winter Olympics? I think many people already know her, but Chloe Kim, the snowboarder, she's had many successful events already, but I know she was like the youngest to medal at the X Games, and she qualified for the Olympics at 13 years old. Holy moly. Her father immigrated to the U.S. in the 80s, I think, and now his daughter's at the Olympics, so the American dream. Such a good story. I think she's just like an amazing role model for young female Asian athletes and athletes in general. Yeah, no, I, I really liked watching her, and she's so good, too. Yeah. Yeah. And just the whole story, how her dad would drive her the, you know, those five, six hours to get up to the... Because they're from Southern Cal, right? Aren't they from L.A. area? Yeah, I think so. But they would have... You know, not, L.A. not known for its snow, so they had to drive 
hours and hours just to get up to the mountain just to practice. And so, you know, it's not it's not really a sport that you see, you know, immigrants do real well in because of the the proximity to to where they might live and the equipment costs and all that, but yeah, they found a way to get her trained and it's amazing. She was how old was she in the last Olympics? She was only 19 in those Olympics or 18? Yeah, I think she's around my age, like a teenager, maybe early 20s. Yeah, yeah, so that's cool. Coming in to the first of my hopefully two 1080s. Let's see the second, Chloe. Comes around, back-to-back 1080s. Frontside 900, Chloe Kim, gold medal already around her neck, but she wants an even bigger score. She stole the thunder on run number one, laying down a 93.75. Her third run score now coming in. It is academic, but for those of you counting at home, it is impressive. How about this for a curtain call? 98.25, Chloe Kim, your Olympic champion. Yeah, Chloe Kim, good choice. I, I really like her. Korean American girl just killing it on the on the X Games as well as the Olympics. She's just a cool girl too, yeah. right? <laughs> I've seen her in interviews. I saw her on, you know, Mask Singer. She was on the Mask Singer. She's just funny. I just think part of what makes her so cool is that she is like a very quintessential American California teenager. And it's very humanizing and it's cool to see that there are girls like like her that are also Olympians and are also elite athletes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you know, it was a little heartbreaking to hear like she was talking about racism on on that level and and you know, and she always has a smile on her face and you always hear positive vibes coming from her. But yeah, it probably wasn't easy breaking into a sport that isn't really known for Asian girls doing well in. And super male dominated. Super male dominated. Yeah, yeah, so the story is really cool too. Your dad's immigrant. Yeah, so who knows? You know, who knows? 15 years from now, who knows who's going to be sharing the podium and saying, yeah, I watched Chloe Kim when I was eight years old. Or, you know, you don't know. She won't really know her impact for years to come still. Because I know my daughter, you know, my daughters are 11 and 9, and, and they watched her and thought she was just really cool to see someone that looked looked like them doing this at this level. It was amazing. All right, good pick, Erica. Um, all right, Coach, who do you want to pick for your athlete to keep an eye on this Olympics? Yeah, it's someone, you know, probably a lot of people have heard of her. It's uh, Naomi Osaka, the tennis player. Uh, but I think it's just, it's an interesting, her recent history, uh, you know, as far as being an elite tennis player, she's right up there. She's won Grand Slams. Uh, she's being hyped by Tokyo as, you know, someone who's going to be representing Japan in the Olympics and tennis. Uh, and then probably her most recently being in the news is her kind of bringing to light the, the mental health issue and the anxiety that can cause an athlete being forced to do press conferences and uh, questioning, you know, right after a match. And she, you know, told the French open, she wasn't going to do, her press conferences after matches, she got fined $15,000 for not meeting her media obligations. She subsequently withdrew. She also withdrew from Wimbledon. So really the Olympics is going to be the next time she's kind of 
front and center in front of the world. Uh, and I, I really respect and appreciate that she's using her platform uh, to try to make positive changes and bring into light the importance of the mental health issue. Uh, a little over a little under a year ago, she also refused to play a match uh, in the Black Lives Matter issues and things like that. So I, I just really respect her for uh, doing all this in addition to being uh, a very good tennis player. And so I look forward to seeing kind of what's the next chapter in her, uh, in her story. People might think I'm quiet, different, that I don't fit the box of what an Olympian should be. But I am proof that the definition is bigger than people think. I want to inspire the girls out there watching right now. The ones that some people think are too different, too quiet, too something. And if we don't fit that expectation of what people think we're supposed to be, good. But she's, you know, 23 years old. She's, you know, rose to the number one ranking in 2019. I think she's currently ranked number two. So she's, you know, thank because of her doing really well there. And, yeah. you know, she's very marketable and just won tournaments and things. She's, you know, just a big voice in sport right now as a uh, uh, half Asian, half black, uh, as a female athlete. So she's... Yeah, wields a lot of opportunity to do do some great things. No, I agree. Uh, I think there's a documentary just came out for on her. Yeah, on like Netflix, I saw. Yeah, no, I'm definitely looking to watch that. Yeah, you girls have any memories of Naomi Osaka? I think she's so prevalent in kind of just news coverage of sports and mental health and athletes that she's she's really stepped up into this moment of of really prioritizing mental health for everyone, but it's something that's kind of taboo in the world of athletics and she's really making a space for it. And it's very not heartwarming is not the right word for it, but it's like very reassuring to see Mm. an athlete that's at such a high level, take a step in this direction. Yeah. Now she is very high profile just really good you know that that definitely her helps her her visibility but yeah that's it's really important i think she's doing some important work right now great pick andy thanks caitlin how about you who's who are you looking forward to watching in this olympics games similar to how i was excited that skateboarding is an event in the olympics (laughs) this year surfing is also a first time event this year in the olympics and i'm really excited to watch kanoa igarashi compete He's um, a pro Japanese American surfer, and he grew up in Huntington Beach. Um, but he's actually representing Japan at Tokyo this summer. Um, okay. And in 2016, he was the youngest surfer on the World Surf League's Championship Tour, which is one of the biggest surf competitions um, that takes place over the course of the season. An amazing effort from Kanawa Igarashi. Now moves up to number two in the world. He- my dad always, you know, motivated me and, and supported me. I know how much he put into me. So it would it'd be unfair for him if I didn't give him my all. Outside of my house, I was American. I walked inside my home, I'm Japanese. My family, 
you know, them moving to America to give me the best opportunity that I can get to achieve my goals as a surfer. They barely speak English. And to, you know, as much as they could say that, you know, this is the American dream, this is way out of the comfort zone. And he's he's kind of always been like very confident in his abilities and he's an incredible surfer. Um, so I'm really excited to see him get competitive and hopefully win gold, even though it is for Japan and not the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he's actually the highest ranked Japanese surfer of all time. And even though he's not super well known in the U.S., Japan, he's like a he's Japan's sweetheart <laughs> when it comes yeah. to um, athletics and everyone knows his face. So I'm excited to see kind of him return to home and really compete for his country and how old is he now he's he said he's 17 he's, now, he's 23 now that's the other thing about the olympics right is you get to see for for you girls you get to see athletes in their 20s you know doing this on the world stage some of them are teenagers and it's amazing i one of my friends pointed this out to me that this is one of the first years where i'm watching athletes that are much younger than i am <laughs> um, compete in the Olympics before it's kind of been my age or a year or two older, but now they're they're younger. the The next yeah. generation of talent is just incredible. They're only going to get younger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a cool pick. Uh, I will definitely look out for those uh, extreme sports, especially surfing. That'd be fun to see on this kind of level. All right, so my pick for some Asian athletes to watch uh, during this Olympics, uh, these are these have become kind of household names, but I'm going to go gymnastics, another one of those sports that you really, uh, on, not, I don't want to say only, but most Americans or most, most people uh, watch these pretty much at the Olympics and not, no other time. But uh, gymnastics is another one of those sports that, you know, every four years it kind of gets into our conscious consciousness. And, of course, everyone knows Simone Biles, and she's, you know, she's just dominant. But um, Sunisa Lee, or Suni Lee, uh, came in second, and she's she's poised to do some things at the uh, at the Olympics. And she is the first Hmong American to compete for the United States, and uh, she's just really good, too. She's a really good athlete. All right, over to one of the stars as well. You expect her to be on the team, Suni Lee, the 18-year-old from St. Paul, Minnesota who has really emerged and could lock up that second automatic spot. How about this routine right now for Suni Lee? I believe this is the hardest bar routine in the world. Don't forget to add that frequent flyer number because you are Tokyo-bound Suni Lee. And so look for big things from her. And then also Yul Moldauer, Yul Moldauer on the U.S. team, Korean-American. Uh, I believe he's adopted, but Korean-American. And, and he's been using his platform, too, a little bit uh, as far as being uh, Asian-American athlete. And he's he's doing really well in gymnastics and is poised to do some meddling, hopefully, this year at the Olympics. Um, but both of these, Asian-American, young, athletic, top of their game, uh, two athletes that you definitely want to keep an eye on for this Olympics. Uh, proud Americans, but proud Asian-Americans as well. So that's pretty cool to see. Yeah, I was watching the like gymnastic trials the other day, and I saw both of them. I think Sunisa yeah. is like the same age as me. <laughs> 
I know. It's like, well, what am I doing with my life? So if you're competing when you're 21, what age do you think you had to start to get that good? Probably like three, four, five. You learn first learn to walk and then get on the parallel bars. I think. <laughs> <laughs> it is crazy amount of dedication. And all right, so moving on to our last category that we're going to talk about today. Um, I wanted to see if you guys knew of any kind of, I'm calling them hidden gems, but these may be athletes. They're not hidden gems in their, in their field, obviously, but to maybe some of us, they may be athletes that we hadn't heard of. Are there any hidden gems out there? Athletes that Asian American athletes that we may not know, or even Asian athletes doesn't have to be American. Uh, let's start with, uh, let's start with Kaylin this time. Who, who should we take an eye, keep an eye out for someone that may not be on our radar at this point? For, for the sake of the fact that swimming is normally not really a very popular sport and we don't see it very often. (laughs) Um, I've chosen Tori Husk and she's an 18 year old Chinese American girl from Virginia. And she actually just set the American record in the hundred butterfly at Olympic trials. So she's crazy fast. She's on the Olympic team and I feel like she's just going on an upward trajectory and I'm really excited to see what she's going to do. And she's younger than you, Kayla. Yeah, and she's younger than me. I'm getting old. <laughs> you're, you're an old lady now. What happened? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, I actually hadn't heard of her, but she's she's super good, huh? Mm-hmm. All right. Is she doing some of that? She'd probably do some of the medleys too, right? Yeah, she, she qualified in more than one event, and she performs really well overall at trials. Right now, it's Husk. 25-6-5! At 50 meters, that's ahead of her pace and ahead of world record pace. And the fans on their feet as they hit 75 meters. Husk in four being pushed by Kurzan in five. Oh, and look at her just fly down the pool right now. Wow, remember world record 55-48! Dahlia putting on the pressure in three, but it's Husk ahead, reaching for the wall, making the team in an American record, 55 and 66, one hundredth of a second. And look at this 18-year-old come down the stretch, 18 one-hundredths of a second off the world record. How about that? The future is now! (laughs) So she'll probably be in relays. I think she has more than one individual event. Um, so she's she might have a full schedule at the Olympics. Great. All right. Put her down. Someone to watch in swimming. You said 100-meter butterfly? Yes. Is that is that one of the harder races to do? I it's think, a sprint race, but, yeah, it is really – it's a hard one for sure. <laughs> I mean, I mean, all of them would be hard for me. <laughs> I don't know what that even means, hard or not. But yeah, it, it sounds grueling to me. Hundred meters. Now that's what you do. You're a sprinter, right? I am a sprinter. Yes. So the, it's just do you hit, do you have to do a lot of weights? Is it is it more strength and cardio, or is it kind of the combo of both? It has to be combo, right? I would say it's a lot of strength, but very targeted strength, and then also a lot of anaerobic work. So. Being in good cardio shape, but also being able to go fast without very much air um, in your <laughs> in your lungs and in your bloodstream. Because when you do the when you do the kick, you you have to be most people are underwater for a good ten seconds, right? 10, yeah, seconds. yeah. The underwater um, are huge when it comes to sprint events. Yeah. Wow. 
All right. So we're looking for Tori Husk. Or Husk. You say Husk? Husk. Tori Husk. All right. Good. Thanks for that. Um, let's see. I'm going to go next. Ha ha. I'm going to call my own number here. I'm going to go with another Bay Area girl, um, Palo Alto High School, University of California, Berkeley. Go Bears. We're going with Lily Zhang. Uh, she is actually a three-time Olympian. This is her third Olympics. And she's a five-time national champion in table tennis. Uh, my name is Lily Zhang, or Zhang An in Chinese. And um, I was born in the U.S., born and raised in uh, Palo Alto, California. But my parents are both from China. Being a wild card, it's always just an honor to be here and to have the opportunity to play with these world-class players and learn from them. Um, so my original goal was just to surpass the group stage. And then today, suddenly, I found myself beating um, Mew Hirano and Sofia Pokanova. And for sure, these two are some of the best wins in my life and the best result of my career so far. So I'm extremely, extremely happy. <laughs> Yeah, so she, she's she been working her way up in the rankings. Currently, currently, she's 27th, and a lot of people feel like this could be her year to possibly get on the podium with a medal. Um, you know, she's she's gotten bronze at some international, at an, at the Pan American Games. She's, she's beaten some of the legends in the sport, uh, and it's just, you know, table tennis dominated by China. And dominated, you know. There's a little bit of Japan in there as well, and they're going to be playing heavy, heavily favorites. But Lu Zhang, American girl out of out of Palo Alto, has been creeping up, and you know, she she even played through college, which is pretty amazing. And she she graduated just two years ago, and so she's she's still pretty young. So keep an eye out for Lily Zhang. I don't even know when you'd be able to watch her, but you gotta have to look at the schedule to find out when table tennis is going. But we'll see, we'll see. I'm hoping. I'm hoping she does well. Um, I I always love the Bay Area athletes, let alone the uh, Bay Area Asian American athletes. All right, let's go on to. Uh, we'll let Erica go next. Hello, Erica. Who are you looking forward to? I, I think you have a Winter Olympics pick for us. Yeah. So within ice skating, there's figure skating, which is solos, and then pair skating, which is like um, partner skating with jumps and spins and some footwork. Then there's ice dancing, which is also solos and pairs, but this is more for like footwork and artistry. And some famous ice dancers are like Maya and Alex Shabatani. So the hidden gems that I'll be talking about today are Jonathan Rogers and Vanessa Pham. Okay. Um, I don't know too much about them, but I know they're from Houston and they both started skating when they were five. They qualified for nationals in 2018 and placed third. And they just got matched like in 2018, I think. So they started working together like pretty recent, but they're really good. I'm glad we have you here. Could they bring in the Winter Olympics for us? Yeah. Uh, all right, and who do you got for us? Uh, for someone that we may not, uh, we may not know already. Sure. I was going back and forth with a couple of sprinters. Uh, Hakeem Sami Brown uh, runs for Japan. His uh, mother's Japanese. His father's from Ghana, and also Sue Bingshen is a hundred meter sprinter for China. They both run under ten seconds uh, in the hundred meters, which is you know, really fast. But they're also probably not competitive against the 9.7s and 9.8s that the Jamaicans and the Americans run. Yeah. 
But I do think where you want to keep an eye on things is in the four by 100 relay, because uh, you expect the U.S. and Jamaica and probably the U.K. to be the stronger teams based on the four names that you see on the paper they're going to run. But there's a lot of team chemistry involved in that four by 100 relay. Anything can happen. Around. <laughs> the Americans always seem to find a way to drop the batons. So uh, I do think you should keep an eye on the team from China. They've got silver at the world championships. They've been, they were fourth at Rio. They've, you know, friendly kind of make the final. They, they always place a little higher than you expect because they have good team chemistry and if it's not China that sneaks in to get that bronze medal, maybe it's because Japan edges them off with some themselves with some good handoffs. Yeah, the handoffs is everything, right? You can make up a couple yeah. seconds right there. Yep. And then, yeah, yeah, I've seen the Americans drop it so many times. Like on, yeah, on paper, just, they're always fastest, but yeah, they got to get it together. Yeah. So keep your uh, keep your eye on the Asian countries and the four by one because they will make up for uh, maybe they're not quite as fast, but their technique and with the baton is going to be good. What do you think? Most exciting uh, one minute in track, Andy? Yeah, it's it's all where you're, when you're expected to win, then it's Pre- like just nerve wracking. Pressure's on. And then as a coach, watching them every time, just holding my breath. Yeah. But when you don't have quite the emotion involvement, you just want to see excitement. It's just terrific. You just sit back and, all right, let's, let's go. Let's yeah, see yeah. It's hard to take the coach out of you, though, sometimes, huh, Andy? Yeah. <laughs> so now we're getting into the deeper cuts of people that we're looking forward to watching. Uh, now, again, it doesn't mean they're not well-known people. It's just they didn't make our first cut on our list. But I wanted to give us a chance to mention someone that maybe we didn't mention in the first go-round. Uh, let's start with Andy this time. Andy, you can keep going with the track and field with a, a pick that maybe you didn't pick yeah. the first round, but you definitely want to mention. Yeah, so... Uh, Michael Norman is going to run for the U.S. in the 400 meters, and he'll probably run in the 4x4 relay as well. Uh, he won the Olympic trials in the 400 a couple of weeks ago. He was at, It'll be his first Olympics, but in 2016, he was a high school senior, and he just missed making the Olympic team in the 200 meters. Uh, but since then, he's gone on to college. He's had a good NCAA career. He's now running professionally. He's, you know, rising to the, towards the top of the international world, and I didn't know this about him, uh, even though my friends uh, were his high school coaches. I didn't know about him until watching him on TV a couple of weeks ago. But his mom is Japanese and grew up not far from Tokyo. Yeah, uh, Her name is, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly, Nobu Sato. And I hope she gets to go, but it sounds like not people aren't getting to go. So maybe she's not going to get to go, but yeah. it's uh, quite close to where she was born. And for the research, uh, I found out that maybe Michael Norman gets his speed from his mom because his mother was a Japanese middle school record holder in the 100 wow. meters. I'm rooting for him for sure. I didn't know his mom was Japanese until I saw him go hug her in the stands like, who's that Asian lady? Yeah. <laughs> so that's cool. All right. Nice pick. Michael Norman, 400 meter. Um, coming home of sorts, right? Coming home to his mom's yep. side. That's kind of cool. I wonder if he'll feel a little extra pressure being a Japanese American, but... We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I heard he uh, was starting to learn Japanese relatively later in life just because he wanted to be able to go visit family there and kind of had to go making the Tokyo Olympics. Very cool. Yeah, that's one way to get there, make the Olympic team. All right. Um, Let's go. Kaylin, you got anyone that you didn't mention already, or did you mention all yours already? 
I I personally am really excited to watch Jay Litherland swim. He swims the 400 individual medley, and I'm actually swimming with the club team that he used ah. to swim with in high school right now. So <laughs> he's from Georgia, so it's kind of a cool nod to where I am right now. Yeah, and yeah. to be able to see him represent the country and also see where he started with swimming is really cool. He wasn't an Emory Eagle, was he, or...? He was not an Emory Eagle. He went to the University of Georgia. Oh, boo! <laughs> well, they're 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 pretty good at swimming too. So so we'll give him a pass. All right, all right. But yeah, from Atlanta, yeah. Yes. Cool. Um, how about you, Erica? You got somebody you're looking forward to mentioning on this last round? Yeah, you can't talk about figure skating without mentioning Nathan Chen. He's yeah. one of the best, or if not the best, figure skater right now. He started skating when he was only three years old and <laughs> qualified for the Olympics when he was 18. And yeah. now he's known as like the quad king because he landed five quads in one program. Holy moly. And he's definitely changed the dynamic of figure skating. And in order to be competitive, you have to have quads in your program yeah. now. Yeah. No, he's a legend now. Yeah, he skated with me, I think, once, and he's a pretty cool dude. Really? Does do people fangirl when you go to these competitions and he's there? Do everyone does everyone kind of? Oh fan? yeah, definitely. They're all waving him down like Nathan. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, no, he's. Uh, so how many Olympics has he done? He's done. Um, I think the, just one. Okay, so this will be a second. Yeah, he's yeah. only like 22. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Look. Yeah. I can't. I remember when just doing triples was enough, right? But now you got to do five quads in one program. Yeah. And he's he's not a super big guy, is he? Is he? Oh no! I stood next to him with my skates on, and he didn't have his, but we were basically the same height. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. Okay. Nathan Chen. All right. So I'm gonna go with a couple picks. Uh, Here's another barrier one for y'all. Uh, Eileen Gu. Anybody know Eileen Gu? She's a freestyle skier from University High School in San Francisco. Uh, oh, yeah. She's going to Stanford in the fall. Oh, yeah. She's also a Victoria's Secret model. So she's, she's, uh, she's probably – so obviously she's very ugly and very stupid. No, just kidding. She's going to Stanford, and she's a yeah, and she's a model, and she's going to be an Olympic skier. So uh, Eileen Gu, keep an eye for her in the Winter Olympics, freestyle skier. And uh, not to scout Bassett, she's a uh, she's from China, and it's kind of this this really really sad story of how she she had something she got in an accident and she lost her leg and her. I think her parents just put her up for adoption. They put her in an orphanage. They didn't have the means to take care of uh, someone who was missing a leg. And she was adopted by an American family. And so she came to America. And she's since become a Paralympic sprinter on a blade. And uh, and she's pretty good. She's like she's less than five feet tall, but she's pretty good. So uh, a nod to the Paralympians out there as well who are competing. And Scout Bassett is a... Chinese American uh, woman who's been competing before, but she's going to be making the rounds this time again. So shout out to her. All right, I don't know if you guys prepared this last question I had for you. Uh, we may not have time to put this on the podcast, but do you have a favorite Olympic moment that you want to share? I think we briefly touched on this in the first episode, but Una Kim's last performance at Sochi in 2014. Uh, 
I just think that like skating is very emotional for me when I watch it and as like she was the last performer there and it was her last competition so it was just amazing to watch and her skating is so effortless and you can just tell she's a veteran in the sport. Yeah, she's so smooth. And just a huge huge superstar in Korea in the world but especially in her home countries is really huge. Anybody else have a, a memory or something you're looking forward to? I still remember in 2004 for the Athens Olympics uh, for the marathon, uh, Mabraton Kafleski won the silver. And I know Meb through our UCLA connections and uh, his coach, Bob Larson, is a friend of mine. And I was at a coach's clinic that summer before the Olympics. And Coach Larson was telling us how they've been studying the Athens course and they've been simulating the exact grade of uphill they're going to have to run and uh, simulating the temperature that's going to be really hot. And I kind of thought, just rolled my eyes and I was like, you know, what difference does it make? The, the Kenyans just want to know which way the finish line is. Uh, and they're point them that way and they're just going to go. And you just got to take care of the running. Uh, but it turns out Coach knew what he was doing. They had a good plan. The training paid off. And we watched this Olympic marathon at a sports bar in the marina. And it was just so exciting watching this unfold and realizing that someone I knew was going to win an Olympic medal. So that is pretty cool. Pretty exciting back then. Yeah, yeah. How about you, Kaylin? You got an Olympic memory? Um, aside from swimming, my favorite sport to watch is gymnastics, usually. And I think in 2016 in Rio, the women's team for gymnastics was just so incredible. And they were really stacked. And I just really remember seeing all these girls, and particularly Simone Biles, just absolutely dominating the world stage. And this this next team of Olympic women in gymnastics, I think, might even be better than the last one. Yeah. It's going to be very exciting to watch. That's going to be really fun. Yeah. No, like we said, like you know, kind of Olympics is the only time that most of us watch gymnastics, so it's going to be fun. And it's so it it takes place over a couple of days, so it's pretty it's pretty grueling to to think about if you're competing in that. Yeah. So one of my one of my ah. Uh, debating which one i should go with i was going to talk about dan jansen um but i'm going to go with and i don't know all the kaylin you might be able to help me here i'm going to go with joseph schooling from singapore yeah yeah right you remember this race he he beat michael phelps and michael phelps was like his idol and i love michael phelps no no knock on him but it was kind of cool to see a kid from singapore and not Singapore, not really known as a, a sports powerhouse. <laughs> Do you remember this race, Kaylin? Yeah, I actually learned the other day that the the stipend that he got from winning gold from Singapore was like seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. It's like a million Singapore dollars. <laughs> yeah, because Singapore has so few gold medals in swimming that the reward for it is very high. Um, yeah. <laughs> and Joseph Schooling did it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. The Singapore is like so desperate. Like, please, anybody wins a medal, you get a million bucks. <laughs> so that's pretty awesome. No, but I, I just remember that moment, and they had, and the and the TV coverage flashed to a picture where he was getting Michael Phelps's autograph or something when he was twelve years old or yeah. something like that. And and of course, you know, the Americans had dominated that event. You know, the really short sprints, Americans or Australians dominated. Here comes this Chinese kid from Singapore coming through. 
He's not. Is he still swimming or? Is... I do not know. I don't know. I think he. I think he is because he had to delay his military service. I think in Singapore you have to do your military service, and he he delayed it for 2020, and then they're like, okay, so you got to go in 2021, but now the Olympics are. So he had to delay it again. So I think he's going to try to swim in this one. So we'll see. Joseph Schooling, Singapore national hero. He's probably on their money, right? <laughs> when you're at a small country like that and you win something that big, you are definitely a national hero over there. So, yeah, keep an eye out for him. All right, well, I guess that does it. Thank you all for your your recommendations as well as your uh, just people that inspire you. That was really cool. That does it for episode number five, part two. So thank you, Andy. Thank you, Erica and Kaylin, for coming in. Uh, thanks for sharing your thoughts. Uh, as mentioned, any of you out there listening can write to us at infatuationpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, please follow us on Instagram or Facebook at infatuationpodcast. Uh, more episodes coming. We mentioned YouTube coming up, travel coming up, and uh, episode nine is going to be on the Marvel movie Shang-Chi. So we'll be uh, breaking that down a little bit. Uh, a little, I got, had to call up my comic book nerd friend. Uh, just kidding, Brian. But I had to call up my comic book friend to help me fill in some gaps on my Marvel knowledge. But he's going uh, to help us break down that movie right before it releases. And then we might actually watch it and come back and tell you all the spoilers. But, uh, yeah, come listen to episode number nine for that. That's going to be in September. But uh, until then, on behalf of Andy, Erica, and myself, hope you are all happy, healthy, and safe out there. Thank you again to my guests, and thank you for listening. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.